Well, we've got a special treat for you today. I'm going to ask him to make his way on up here as I introduce him. But uh, over 20 years ago, when we moved to uh, Garrett County, uh, I was working in Christian radio at that time, and we would interview different ministers and pastors as they would, you know, either be here in the area or come through the area. And I met this guy, I guess it's probably been 21, 22 years ago. We don't even look that old. I don't, I don't know. I don't know how. But he, uh, he actually pastored in Friendsville, Maryland for many years, and then God plucked him out of there, uh, sent him to the Brownsville Revival. Some of you old-timers remember that outpouring that hit our nation many years ago and then has brought him around the world, and we're glad to have him back with us today. Would you make Brother Keith Collins feel welcome here to Crossroads? Amen. Well, good morning. Such an honor to be here, and I dressed up for you guys this morning. I actually had to leave here and preach a funeral in Buchanan, West Virginia with Pastor Jerry Merle just as soon as I get done here. So therefore, you get to see me in my suit, which is kind of rare these days. Amen. Hey, I'm really honored to be here. I was here a little over a year ago, and every time I come, it's just a blessing. And, you know, just to see how the Lord has grown this ministry is just amazing. I actually had the privilege of speaking, preaching for Pastor Dave and Patty, um, years ago when they were in the little Garrett County movie theater right up the road here. So to see how things have developed is really incredible. And um, amen. Just give the Lord a hand for, for all he's done. Amen. Well, this morning, I have something upon my heart that, that I want to share with you that that's really connected to uh, a book that I'm in the process of writing. I'm, I'm finishing up my latest book that'll be done in a couple months probably, but I'm kind of at the, the end of it. And, um, you know, I've been preaching now for 38 years. I started pastoring in Friendsville when I was 19. I don't recommend that for every 19-year-old. But, um, you know, I'm 55 now, so quite a while ago when I was in Friendsville. And, um, you know, the Lord, of course, always gives us grace in the season that we're in. But over all these years of preaching now, many years, um, you know, there are certain times in my life and my ministry and my calling that the Lord will really grip me with a theme or with maybe a certain burden. And so, so this morning, I, I kind of want to share out of where I am living right now. And I think, that, I think that, that can be a good thing because it's really passionately upon my heart. So, so this morning, I, if I had to give you a title for those that are note takers, and I, I'm actually one of those folks, um, I would call this the disturbance of prayer the disturbance of prayer, it's kind of a different title, but I believe you'll, you'll understand that here in a few minutes. And before I even get into the, um, the scripture, I, I want to say that I know that I know that I know that prayer is a powerful force that God uses in every generation. Matter of fact, I've been studying the lives of individuals who had an amazing impact on culture, society, a generation who were actually known for their prayer more than their preaching. Many of us know the name Dwight L. Moody. We know the name of Charles Finney. We know the name of John Wesley. We know the name of Reinhard Bonnke. We know all these, these great, what I call generals of the faith. But oftentimes, there are names connected to them, like Daniel Nash, Abel Clary, Suzette Hatting. Um, these individuals who... If you, have, if you study and research the ministry, sometimes you'll see these names connected to them, but we don't really know them as common 
you know, church names or household names, so to speak. But as I have been studying the lives of prayer warriors, um, I've been overwhelmed at how that, that God has used these individuals throughout history to make an eternal impact and to disturb the culture of their hour. How many of you realize that America needs a divine disturbance right now? Amen. We have, we have found ourselves in the midst, um, kind of like Pastor Dave said, people have lost their minds. I mean, there are things now that are being advanced that 30 years ago, if I would have talked about those things, you know, my parents and my grandparents would have, would have blushed, so to speak. And John Wesley said, what one generation tolerates, the next one will embrace. And then I've always said, and the next one will celebrate and the next one will promote. And now we are promoting perversion. We are promoting things. And I don't have to go into detail. You know exactly what I'm talking about. But the bottom line is America needs a divine disturbance. We need a holy invasion of the power of God in this generation more than ever before. Listen, we are, we're losing our young people to suicide. We're losing them to, to overdose, to fentanyl poisoning. We are, we're seeing marriages fall apart even in the church. I mean, there is um, like an SOS Mayday code red that I believe we have to understand and we have to respond to it. And I'm convinced the help that we need is not coming from the White House. It's not coming from the courthouse. It's not coming from the schoolhouse. Now, listen, I, I believe in praying for, for leaders that have godly motivations and that are righteous, so we continue to do that, and we try to vote for those that we think are godly, and we, that's part of what we do as Americans. I'm all for that, but listen to me. The hope that America needs is beyond a politician. It, it, it's beyond another tax-funded program in America. The hope that we need is divine and it's heavenly. And I'm going to tell you where it's at this morning. It's right here in these seats. What God has used historically throughout the history of the world is people that tether or fasten themselves to intimacy with Jesus. And as a result, they embrace his passion and his heart for a generation. There's power in prayer this morning. Now, I, I want to share one story and then I have a few verses I want to read to you this morning, um, and this, this hits home with me because it's, it, it's about me. I was radically born again on January the 24th of 1985, you know, back in the last century, right? <laughs> it's a long time ago now. I, I, I had a radical encounter with Jesus, and, you know, just if you don't know me at all, I was raised you know, in a challenging situation. Anyway, my, my father was a drug addict. He fell dead at age 51. He's a brilliant guy. He was a bank president twice, but addicted to drugs and a lot of other things. And he opened that world to me as an eight-year-old boy. At the age of eight years old, I began to experiment with narcotics, with um, um, perversion, Hustler magazine, all that kind of stuff. He, he would show this stuff to us, and we began to smoke pot with him and a bunch of other things. Long story short, by the time I was a teenager, I was very much involved in a, a culture of addiction, a culture of perversion. My youngest brother's been in prison for 29 years. He got involved in the Cuban mafia down in Miami, Florida, and a bunch of other stuff that I won't go into. Got another brother who's strung out on meth right now somewhere in New Mexico, for all we know. So the, the bottom line is I, I'm not like the prime candidate to be standing at Crossroads Church preaching the gospel to you this morning. But God answers prayer. Amen. Let me give you a true story. Amen. Um, I got saved January of 1985 in Florida, where I'm from. 
And that, that summer, June of 1985, our church from Florida attended a youth camp in North Wilkesboro, North Carolina. And there was a church from Buchanan, West Virginia. Some of you might know Pastor Jerry Merle. That's um, my beautiful, bald-headed brother-in-law. Hope he sees that. But anyhow, <laughs> but anyhow um, so our church and their church attended a youth camp in North Carolina. And unbeknownst to me, my, my future wife would be at this camp, which is Jerry Merle's sister. And um, I, I met her, and I knew that, that, I, that I liked her, so I began to pursue her as best as I could back before cell phones and all this kind of stuff. We actually wrote letters back in those days and, and would um, make a little money because I had to do collect calling and pay my parents so that I could call collect and stuff, or her parents as well. But anyhow, um, I went to see her that same year. I met her in June and October of that year. I flew from Tallahassee, Florida to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, And my wife and her sister picked me up in Pittsburgh. And to be honest with you, I was intimidated to meet her parents, especially her mother, because I'd heard stories down in Florida about her mother and her father. They were church planters, and, you know, they're the ones that planted the church in Buchanan years ago that Pastor Jerry is the pastor of now. But her mother had a real strong, you know, prayer life and a powerful preacher and so forth. And I'd heard that, that she really walked close with the Lord. So you, you got to figure, I mean, I'm, I'm out of drugs and, and you know, I, I'm listening to Iron Maiden and Led Zeppelin and all this stuff and Judas Priest. And, and then I get radically saved. So this whole world is completely new to me. So I, I, I'm converted to Christ now. I'm a 16-year-old boy. I like this girl. Her mother is like this preacher. So I'm very intimidated to meet her mother. And to be honest with you, when I got in the car with Darla and her sister Sherry at the airport in Pittsburgh, it wasn't too long down the road. I was praying, you know, Lord, don't let Darla's mom see anything bad in me, you know. I mean, I was saved, but I was 16, and I was ready to get married already. So so anyhow, you know, so when I met her mother, and this connects to what I'm talking about, there's power in prayer. She walked out on the porch of her little house there in Buchanan, West Virginia, and she looked at me, and she said, I know you. She said, the Lord brought you to me in a dream three years ago. And he told me you were coming to marry my daughter. And I've been praying for you for three years. Now, that was complete, completely foreign to me. I, I, I had never heard of this, like having a dream and then, then praying this whole world of, of, you know, touching the Lord and being close to the Lord in that way. But, but listen, I, I stand here this morning on a platform, but I really stand on the shoulders of my mother-in-law's prayer life. Listen, three years before I was saved, I promise you, very few people would want me to marry their daughter. But God broke through into my life. And again, God is sovereign. I understand that. I responded to the gospel that night. But listen to me. The Lord used the power of her mother's prayer to birth me into the kingdom of God. Now listen, friend. We need those type of people praying in this generation. I want you to listen to the word of the Lord this morning. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Romans, the 8th chapter, Romans chapter 8. To me, this is the the paramount of Paul's theological writings. There's a lot of doctrine in Romans. um, And there's some great truths that we can pull out of the book of Romans. But listen to what Paul says about prayer in Romans chapter 8 and verse 26 and verse 27. He says, likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot 
be uttered. Listen, likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses. For again, we don't know what we should pray, but something supernatural happens, and the Holy Spirit literally begins to pray through us. And then he says, Now he who searches the heart, speaking of the Holy Spirit, the Lord, knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercessions for the saints according to the will of God. Now there's something powerful here that I believe we need to see this morning. Friend, there is a, a depth of intimacy with Jesus that the Apostle Paul reveals here in Romans chapter 8 to where we can be so divinely interconnected with the heart of the Lord himself that the Holy Spirit literally takes over our yielded vessels and begins to pray through us. I remember in my early years of serving the Lord, I I began to hear some of the the older saints and they would talk about things like praying through. And I didn't know what that meant at all um, at the time. But but I would go to some of these all-night prayer meetings in Buchanan, West Virginia with Jerry and Darla's mom and dad and maybe a dozen or so of the people in the church. And they would come into that prayer meeting and just be, be gripped with maybe praying for someone to get saved or someone to get delivered. Or maybe there was a, a family that was being torn apart. And we would get in there, you know, 8 or 9 o'clock at night, if I remember right. This is many years ago. But oftentimes they would pray 3, 4, 5 hours. And sometimes at 12, 1 o'clock in the morning, it was almost like a spirit of joy would come over the people there. And they knew that they had broken through in prayer. They had wrestled in prayer. The Holy Spirit had come upon them. Sometimes I I remember watching tears, hearing groanings. Now listen, this is maybe not, you know, customary to some of us in this room, but listen, there is this deep place of knowing God where the Lord literally uses our lives to birth His eternal purposes according to to what the Apostle Paul is saying here. Listen to a few more verses this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4. This is also the Apostle Paul. He said, The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down or for the pulling down of strongholds. What is he saying, friend? Listen, this weapon, and there are different weapons, but one of the primary weapons that we have is prayer. Listen, friend, our, our, our generation, and this is strong, but America is free-falling into hell this morning. Our culture is degrading and imploding upon itself. And I am convinced that there is one solution, and that is a people that know God and that can get a hold of God in the prayer closet and can pray for the eternal purposes of the Lord in this generation. Listen, Give the Lord a hand. Amen. I've been preaching for many years, and I've been blessed. I've pastored. I've overseen Bible colleges. I've planted six colleges overseas, ministry schools in different countries. I've preached in 38 nations, and I I love preaching. And it's part of my calling, teaching, preaching in seminaries and schools. But listen to me. The older I get, now at the age of 55 with seven grandkids, and I'll have eight in a couple of weeks, a new one's coming. But at this age in my life, my passion is more bent towards prayer than ever before because I know, as John Wesley said, there are certain things that do not happen except the people of God pray. Listen, friend, 
Preaching's important. We preach the gospel. People hear the gospel. They respond to the gospel. But I'm convinced that prayer is kind of like the disc going into the hard ground that breaks the ground up for the seed of the word to go in and to germinate and to bring forth life. Without prayer, we have a lot of noise, but oftentimes there's no power. Prayer releases. The reason this message is called the disturbance of prayer is because prayer disturbs the atmosphere. It changes the, the culture of a city. It changes the culture of a church. It changes the culture of a family. I was preaching in Scotland about seven years ago in Edinburgh and then in the Glasgow area. And I had read about the, the Hebrides revival many times that happened in 1949 on the island of Lewis, the outer Hebrides islands of Scotland. And since I was there, I, I finished our ministry time and was done and had a few days. I, I decided I would go out to the island of Lewis, to the village of Barvis, where the Hebrides revival broke out in 1949 that literally touched the entire island. If you read the history of what God did, men would literally be, be working out in fields and the spirit of God would come over them. And they said men would be on the ground, their faces weeping under conviction as they were drawn to the Lord. There was such a, a tangible level of God's glory. You know, there, there's a Hebrew word, kabod, and it means the the weight or the heaviness of God. If you read the history, just look up the Hebrides revival, you'll, you'll read this history. And, and when I was there, I, I went to Barvis and there was a gentleman that was taking me around and he took me to an old foundation of an old cottage. And he said, in this cottage, there were two ladies up in their 80s with the last name Smith. He said, one of those ladies was legally blind and the other one was bent over with arthritis. But they had known the history of revival on this island because God had moved in Lewis on that island back in the 1800s. And they knew that, that God had moved there and touched that island. I think the island at the time had like 28,000 people, if my history's right. But anyhow, th they began to pray and ask God to send revival. And it was not very long after that that they broke through in prayer and they called the pastor and they said, God is about to move on this island. They, they knew that God had showed them. They were faithful for month after month after month. And then they, they broke through in the heavenly realm and great revival came to that island. You can read the history of how God used that, that movement in 1949. And the instrument, the evangelist, was a gentleman by the name of Duncan Campbell that was mightily used of God. Here's my point, friend. There are certain things that do not happen except we pray the heart of God. God. There are things that, that, that do not come about except we are, and I'll put it this way, because Paul said, listen, there's a place, Romans 8, there's, there's a place where literally the Holy Spirit possesses your being, and you pray with groanings. In other words, sometimes not even human words, and I've been here multiple times, sometimes tears, and just feeling the heart of God for a situation and praying the heart of God, sometimes without human words, Paul said. And the reason this happened is because the Holy Spirit knows the mind of the Father. And He uses our yielded, obedient vessels to touch heaven and to disturb the atmosphere on the earth.
In other words, friend, this is the plan of God. For the, This is the highest calling of ministry. It's not what I'm doing this morning. I'm, I'm honored and I'm humbled to be here. And I don't take this for granted. But listen to me, friend. My highest calling is on my face before my Lord saying, Jesus, use my life for your eternal purposes in this generation. That's real ministry. I don't know what 10, 15, 20 years looks like for my grandkids. If the Lord tarries, I don't know. But I do know this. The enemy is working overtime to destroy generation after generation after generation. I do know that our young people, many of them, are not just post-revival, but they're post-Christian. They have a post-modern view. There's no absolutes. There's no morals. There's no foundations. And my friend, some people have said, why doesn't God just change everything? Why doesn't God? I, I don't understand everything. Matter of fact, Paul said God's ways are past finding out. With all of my training, with all of my schooling, with all of my you know seminary study as well as teaching, ancient language studies, all that kind of stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm at a place to where there are some things beyond my ability to figure out, and that's the way that God wants it to be. But here's what I do know. There are things that do not happen unless we pray. There is a law of God where God has instituted, James the Apostle says this, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Listen, as I have studied the lives of men like Daniel Nash, Abel Clary, Suzette Hatting, some of these great intercessors that they're not church names or household names, but these are the true heroes of the faith. Listen, I believe we will be shocked one day when we get to heaven, we know Billy Graham will be there, and we know that Ryan Harbonke will be there, and Dwight L. Moody, and Charles Finney, and George Whitfield, and John Wesley, and Charles Wesley, all these great, Amy Carmichael, Hudson Taylor, Adonai Judson, all these great missionaries, and, and fathers and mothers in the faith. But listen, I believe we will be shocked when we see the host of intercessors who were faithful to the prayer closet and they touched the heart of God and they were consumed with the burden of the Lord himself for a generation. Jeremiah the prophet, when he looked at Judah, his people, he was a prophet to the southern kingdom. He cried these words in Jeremiah chapter 4, my agony, my agony, I writhe in pain. King James, he said, my bowels, my bowels. I writhe in pain when he saw the idolatry, the perversion, when he saw that they had set up other demon gods to worship and to pay homage to. His heart was gripped. He had preached, repent, come back to God. He's at a place now where he literally, listen, I don't believe you could tell where the heart of Jeremiah began and ended and where the heart of Yahweh God began. They were so fused or welded together. What is an intercessor, friend? An intercessor is one who is willing to align themselves with the heart of God for a generation. Study revivals, friend, you will find every great move of God was birthed through prayer and intercession. It wasn't a good preacher. God uses preachers. Don't misunderstand me. But friend, the womb that births salvation, deliverance, revival. 
the womb that can change a nation and turn America into another third great awakening is the womb of intercession. And nothing is done right. Listen, I can preach without praying. I've been doing this 38 years. I can teach without, I can write curriculum without praying. I can plant churches without praying. I've, I've done it around the world. I can plant Bible colleges without praying. But I'm going to tell you something. When I am living close to the heartbeat of Jesus, and whenever His glory, His holiness, His presence, His power surges through my being, there is a different level of grace and even authority over demons and darkness. That I Listen, I've stood in front of 30,000 Muslims in West Africa and preached the gospel, and I've watched the demon possessed screaming out, but I knew that I stood there because of my prayer life, not because of my preaching ability. And I've watched the Lord deliver countless Muslims and India Hindus. In other words, friend, prayer is powerful. It changes the heart of humanity. It can take a hardened man and turn him into a loving, gentle spirit. It'll take a prostitute and make her a worship leader. Come on, friend. It'll take a drug dealer and turn him into a pastor or a church planter. Listen, it'll take a perverted teenager whose father tried to destroy his life through drugs and everything else. And he'll burn the fire of God within me and awaken holy desires and eternal desperation for Jesus to be glorified in my generation. Prayer bursts the eternal purposes of God into every generation. Greatest need for Garrett County is intercessors, friend. People that know their God in prayer. People willing to invest their heart, their time. People willing to live a life, as Paul said in Ephesians, worthy of the call. I'm not talking about legalism. I'm talking about intimacy with Jesus to where he becomes the one thing. A single eye. A single focus where he can entrust us with his glory because our hearts belong to him. Intercessors who are willing to pray when others aren't praying, who are willing to engage God in the darkest hours of history. You realize every great revival that I've studied happened in dark, dormant hours. And God would arrest the heart of a person or a group of people. Usually it's never the masses. It's always a small amount but he'll arrest their hearts with his burden. And they fasten themselves. They tether themselves. Listen, the title of my new book. Now, if this book comes out before mine does, I know you stole my title, but I love you anyhow. But the title of my new book is Tethered to Eternity. Because there have been those throughout history who deliberately fasten themselves to the heart of God. I, I want to close this morning. I've got to get to a funeral in Buchanan to... So i got to leave out pretty quickly. But I, I want to close this morning, and the team can come back, the keyboard player, with a story that um, impacted me deeply, still impacts me. Several years ago when I was, at this point, I was the dean of students at the Brownsville Revival School of Ministry and a, and a professor there. I was preparing a, a group of about 18 students to go to India on a missions trip. And we would meet after school every Tuesday and Thursday and pray for the trip. And just, we were praying things like, God, give us divine appointments. 
Lord, use us while we're there. Let us be a blessing to the ministry and the people there. I'll just, you know, those type of prayers. I was preparing them what to bring. Just, you know, those type of meetings that you do, especially when you go into a third world country with a bunch of young people. And the last meeting, we were about to close, and I was about to kind of close in prayer, finish up, remind people to bring their toothbrush and their pillow, just stuff you do on missions trips. And all of a sudden, one of the students, a little, I mean, she's tiny, a little Korean girl from South Korea, she literally went to the floor, and, and she began to, um, to cry out. And, and the word she was crying was, Kudi. Now, I'm not going to do what she did because it was blood curling. It was painful to listen to her, to be honest with you, in the natural. It was a small little chapel we were praying in. But I, she kept crying, Kudi, Kudi. She was in like a fetal position, just balled up, and just Kudi. She began to cry. And, and to be honest with you, at first... I thought maybe this is out of order, but then I, I recognized this is something happening supernatural, and I don't want to touch this. Several minutes went by, like 40 minutes or maybe 40, 40 it's years ago, over 20 years ago now, but 40, 45 minutes went by. She was released from that. So I thought maybe this is a Korean word. So I, she spoke Korean. That was her first language. So I asked her, is this, was that a Korean? She said, no, I don't know what that word is. I said, do you know what it meant? She said, I, I have no idea what it meant. So we just, we prayed over it, God, if there's something here that we need to know, you know, please show us. So that's Thursday, Monday morning, we flew to India. We get to India, we're there several, like a week and a half, we're there several days. And, and the last day of ministry before we fly back to America, we went out on a bus and we drove a ways. Bus stopped and our leader there, Yesu Padam, he said, um, we have to walk the rest of the way. So we went across a little dry creek bed. And then we begin to ascend a mountain with a grade about like this. And we walked for several minutes. It was harder for some than others. But anyhow, we crested the top of that mountain to a flat place. And our brother said, this is the village of Kudi. Now, you have to imagine how we all felt. We knew, this is a village of maybe three, 350 people, a little tiny Hindu village. I, I remember one of the first things you see when you walked into the village was a, a monkey god that was sitting there, a Hindu god. And they had flowers and little food around it. They would bring this stuff to offer to God. So we, we, we walk into this Hindu village, and the leader says, this is the village of Kudi. We knew that the Lord was ahead of us. And that he had taken this little girl all the way from South Korea, sent her to America to the Brownsville Revival School of Ministry. And he had possessed her little bean with a burden for 300, 350 little group of people that were on the heart of Jesus. And so we knew that the way had been prepared for the glory of the Lord to be revealed. We stood and preached in that village and multiple people responded to the altar. I, I know that because of that, They've planted a church there, and the gospel is being preached, and disciples are being made in Kudi. Listen to me, friend. There's a deeper place in prayer this morning. Paul talks about it in Romans 8. Could go into a lot more stories, a lot more verses. I'm not going to do that. But listen, there's an invitation. I'm going to ask you to stand with me as I, I close this morning. I'm sure Pastor Dave will come back. But listen, there's an invitation this morning. And here's that invitation. Come deeper, friend. We're losing generations we're, we're losing the millennials we're losing gen x we're losing gen z we're losing my little grandkids are called the alpha generation we're losing generations 
We need God's assistance, his divine power released. The weapons of our warfare, they are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down, to the plummeting of hell and the intentions of hell. And friend, listen, that's the only way we see a nation turned. That's the only way a county bows their knee to Jesus. I want to pray over you now. Father, in the name of Jesus, may intercession arrest our hearts today. Father, take us deeper than we've ever been before. Thank you, God, for Crossroads Church. Thank you, God, for the lives that are being touched here. Thank you for every intercessor that is here. But God, even in those lives, take them deeper, God. Arrest our heart with your eternal purposes. Jesus, your kingdom come. And your will be done in beautiful Garrett County and the surrounding regions, Lord, even through this ministry as never before. We thank you for the honor to co-labor with you as intercessors that bring forth your heart through prayer. In Jesus' name. Hey, we love you guys. Thank you so much for listening this morning. May the grace and the favor and the blessing of the Lord take over you as you fulfill the purposes of Jesus in your generation. We love you. Hope to be back at some point where I can stay around and talk heading to Buchanan. Love you guys. Thank you so much.